This is Masters in Travel, a rendezvous with the intersection of travel and business to accelerate your success. I'm your host, Whitney Schindler, owner of Undiscovered Sunsets. Each week, we have one goal in mind, to provide advice, insights, and resources to help you maximize your potential. Get ready to become a master in travel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Masters in Travel. I'm your host, Whitney, and today we're going to learn about public speaking and storytelling. Now, before you think, why on earth do I need to know more about public speaking as a travel advisor? I encourage you to stick with me as I've invited Eric Dominguez, a public speaker, a public speaking coach, and the founder of Speak Up Stories. Eric believes that public speaking and storytelling aren't just podiums and PowerPoints. Public speaking is anytime you speak to inform, persuade, lead, inspire, or entertain. It looks very different for different people, but it is a required skill of all positions in all professions. And just in that one sentence alone, my interest was piqued. And in digging deeper, I saw that there is definitely something here for travel advisors because we are speaking on a very regular basis to inform, to lead, and to inspire at the very minimum. We're going to dive into all of this in a few minutes, but first, Eric, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. This is very thrilling. On your website, you share that your mission is to eradicate ineffective speaking, to empower people with words, and to smash the stigma of public speaking fear. Help me break each of these three missions down. What exactly is ineffective speaking and what strategies are you using with your students and clients to eradicate ineffective speaking? Ineffective speaking looks different for different people. One, it's fearful public speaking. So many people can't even step to a microphone, can't even step on a podium without having ongoing anxiety, ongoing fear that they're going to be judged, that they're going to be rejected, that they're going to be looked upon as bad or wrong. So first thing that we do is conquer that fear. Our brains are wired to recognize public speaking as a dangerous situation. That's true, right? Like we, when we're talking, even right now, when we're talking, we could say something wrong or bad or dumb or whatever that could greatly impact our lives. So part of overcoming that fear is reminding your body that you are safe, reminding your body that you are not in any physical harm and that you have control over those fears. And then the second part of ineffective public speaking is overconfident public speaking, which is a form of of fear, to be honest with you. It's the, I don't need to prep. I can just show up and say whatever I need to say. The reason why that's considered fear is because when we come in unprepared, if it doesn't go well, then we can always just say, well, it's because I didn't prepare. Mm -hmm. Look at how well I did without preparing. And the way that I lean my clients away from that is saying, yes, you were absolutely awesome in that context. And think about how much more awesome you could have been if you spent a little bit more time preparing. So that's the eradication of public speaking inefficiencies. So when you say ineffective speaking, is this because someone's fear or someone's overconfidence and intentional lack of preparation means that they They don't really do well in getting their message across. And so their listeners aren't able to take as much from their speech. Is that that what you mean by ineffective? I think it's a little bit more complex than not being able to get your message across. Okay. Most people are able to communicate effectively to a certain degree. If I have a message to share, I have words, I have knowledge, I have mediums by which I can share that message. However, most people hold their personalities back in whatever way that looks like for them. And 
that's how they're not being as effective. They're okay. saying, well, I told the people this, this, and this, but because we're natural storytellers, if you're not telling your own story within the context of your message, we're not really going to remember what you said. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Your second mission is to empower people with words. In this mission, are you referring to carefully selecting the words that we use to communicate our message or what exactly do you mean by this mission? Two things. One is public speaking training is personal development training because great public speaking comes down to knowing yourself and knowing your message. There's so many times, even within my own life, that I don't I don't really know what it is that I want to say. I don't know what it is that my mission is. I kind of feel it. And it's only when I put words to it and it's only when I speak those words out into an audience and I get feedback from that that I'm really able to understand where it is that I'm going. So it's about sharpening who am I, how do I want to serve, and how do I want to tell people what it is that I do. That, that comes with a lot of power. When you have that clarity in your voice, it brings a lot, a lot of confidence in what you're doing. My goodness. I think as a travel advisor, I know... I think I know who I am. A training with you might tell me a little bit differently. I think I know what I do and why I do it. I don't feel that I am quite yet confidently speaking that message to anyone who asks. Okay. Your third mission is to smash the stigma of public speaking fear. What do you see as the main fears people feel and experience when it comes to public speaking? And how are you working towards smashing the stigma, as you say? The main fear, this is a a complex message because the main fear is fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of ridicule. And the reality is, is that when we stand up in front of an audience, whatever that audience looks like, we likely are going to be rejected. We likely are going to be ridiculed. We actually are going to fail. There's an element to that. I I give a a non-mathematical, mathematical equation to all of my clients, which is if you give the best story, the best speech of your life, and you can score your speech at 100%, you still only captured 80% of the audience, and that 80% of the audience only really listened to you 80% of the time. Because the other 20% of the people didn't jive with you, didn't understand you, were distracted by whatever reason, and the people who were listening to you still were thinking about other things as you were talking. So we, we get into this mode of, as a public speaker, I have to be perfect. I cannot say um, I cannot move my hand gesture too far to the left or to the right. And it's not about perfection. It's about being willing to pay the price of rejection, of ridicule, of failure. And I, I think that resonates with business ownership as well. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Going in, we all have to know and understand that not everyone is going to be our client. Not everyone is going to fit well within our business. And as business owners, we need to be ready just from the beginning for a little bit of that rejection. And as you said, we can do everything perfectly right? We can have all our systems, all our processes. We can design the most beautiful experience. We can deliver the most flawless service. And there are still going to be people or clients that just, no thanks, they don't resonate with us, right? Right. I I had a great example of this in one of my programs where uh, the people in the program are are developing their own keynotes. And I sent them a video of a high paid speaker. I mean, this guy's getting paid probably 15 to $20,000 to speak every single time. And a lot of the people in this keynote group just didn't jive with it. They said, wow. I, 
did not like him. Here are the reasons why I didn't like him. I didn't want to listen to this part and this part. And it was a great example of like, yeah, and somebody's going to listen to your keynote and think the same thing. Our, our intention is never to reach everyone. Our intention is to reach the specific people that we are called to reach. So you have very publicly confessed that you fear public speaking. Uh, and this was <laughs> definitely quite interesting to learn, as I'm sure that most would assume that you are full of confidence mm-hmm. and that you have a complete lack of nerves to get up on a stage at a moment's notice, most especially considering that your expertise and your zone of genius is in coaching others to do the same. So talk to me about your feelings toward public speaking and what exactly is under the fear that you feel when it's your turn to get on stage. Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, I absolutely still fear public speaking. Growing up, just I, I was raised in an environment where there was a lot of ridicule. There was a lot of rejection. There was a lot of discomfort. And public speaking brings all of those up, right? It's exactly what we said is I now have to be in the zone where I can be rejected and ridiculed and I can fail. What the difference is, is that over the last 20 years, I've learned strategies to not not just the mechanics of public speaking of like, where do I look and how do I prepare, but also the intention that my message is much stronger than my fear. And the more I step up literally on a stage and speak to people, the more my brain remembers, that's right. Not only am I safe, but this is fun. And it's fun because I get to be myself and I get to share my message. And when that rejection and ridicule and failure do come, because they still do, no matter how many times I speak, there's still something I can improve on. I know how to shift that. I know how to learn from that, no matter how positive or negative the feedback might be. So far in this conversation, we have kind of alluded to public speaking potentially taking place on a stage, right? And when I hear someone referring to public speaking, I also think of keynote speeches, TED Talks, news conferences, things like this. Mm -hmm. I read through this in the introduction, but I'm going to read it again because I feel that it's really impactful. So you state on your website that public speaking and storytelling aren't just podiums and PowerPoints. Public speaking is anytime you speak to inform, persuade, lead, inspire, or entertain. It looks very different for different people, but it is a required skill of all positions and professions. So when you meet someone like me, meaning that prior to meeting you, I would have never considered myself a public speaker, but I am in a profession that requires public speaking on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So how might you respond to someone like me who might ask, why would I need a public speaking coach? I don't give speeches. I'm not a public speaker. Mm, That's great. I actually would add to my own definition that public speaking is anytime you open your mouth and words come out. That actually is really liberating, especially for people who have public speaking fears, because anytime you're having a conversation, you're practicing your public speaking. And really the differences between speaking from a stage and speaking one-on-one from a business owner to a client, they're not that massive. They're really not that massive. There's just a, a few mechanics that you get to shift. When I'm talking to someone like you who primarily speaks to one-on-one clients. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. You're still preparing. What message do I get to share? And what is the most creative and unique way to not only present that message, but also present my own personality so that the audience, even if it's an audience of one, their brains are starting to couple. It's called story coupling. We start to align with the messages and stories that we are telling. So in hearing this, I immediately thought of some key instances in a travel advisor's world that we are speaking to inform, to lead, or to inspire. So one of the first 
examples that came to mind in the inspiration domain is that when clients are open to ideas for their next trip and they come to us and they say, where should we go? as opposed to coming and saying, we want to go here and we want to go in six months, you know? And then once we decide on a destination, then when we get there, what should we do? Where should we stay? Now, this is really a travel advisor's opportunity to inspire. Mm -hmm. And I have experienced this with clients before in which I'm offering certain destinations as, well, we could do this. You know, we could go here, you could go here. And when they say, okay, well, why do we go here? For some destinations, I'm able to very eloquently describe the exact experience Experience and why I believe they should go. And for other destinations, I don't have the right words. And mm. I can tell that they're like, not impressed. And then we mm. move on. And I'm like, oh, I really did not do that destination justice. Mm. I have caught myself tongue tied in these situations. Interesting. So I'm curious, what, like, what would be an example of you telling a client about a destination in a way that you didn't feel happy? Like, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Frankly, it's usually a destination that I haven't been to personally. That's it. Because you're not describing the feelings or the visions and the the smells and the sights and the cool coffee shop around the corner. I don't know if I could have articulated it like that, but yes, that's exactly it. Because when someone talks to me about Mexico and let's just tell everyone, you know, Mexico really well. I know Mexico really well. And when we mention Mexico, we're not thinking of beaches. We're thinking of cultural you know, the, the food scene and all of the history. And we're, we're, we're talking like real Mexico, right? Right. right, Yeah. And, and I can talk about Mexico all day long. I have convinced so many people to go to Mexico and not to the beaches that it's insane, but it's because I've been there. And exactly like you said, I can talk about the guides that I have experienced. I can talk about exactly what I learned on each of these different, you know, experiences and why you should stay in this hotel and how this hotel differs from this one, because I've stayed there. And I can, I can like, I can almost describe it in a way that they can feel it. Like it feels tangible. There are other destinations that I know really well through research, through learning, through professional development. I haven't yet been there. Mm-hmm. And it's much more difficult for me to make that description tangible so that the client's like, oh, yes, this is going to be our next trip. So here's where, here's what, what the differentiation that I would make. And it has to do with details. As storytelling brains, we love relevant details, even if they're minute, like the wall was yellow or the coffee was, was cold or whatever the, it may be. If they are relevant to the actual story, and in your case, in your destination, our minds are going to start to visualize. So when you haven't been to a place and you say, you'll stay at this hotel, you'll eat this food you'll go to this, you know, place, Mm -hmm. very standard. But if you have been there, you can say, you'll stay at this hotel and -and so-and-so was the concierge there and he's great, he's so funny, told us jokes. And then you'll go to this place, they have a great meal of this package. And those are the types of details that your clients will get fired up about. And when I tell you to go to Mexico City, I also then tell you that I know the best place for churros and that you're going to order a hot chocolate with them. And there's three locations or four locations around the city. So no matter where you go, there are churros nearby. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, you get excited. So then we as clients get excited. Yes, absolutely. Another good example of that I believe that public speaking really comes into play for travel advisors and which occurs for me on a very regular basis is that we have a lot of instances in which we need to inform clients. Mm -hmm. So the first example might be um, we are asked on a very regular basis, why do travel advisors still exist and why should someone work with a travel advisor? This is probably the most common question that I receive, and I'm fairly certain that all advisors do. And I don't get tongue-tied when someone asks me this, but my answer is different every single time. Hmm. And I 
don't know that that's really a positive thing. I feel that that's something, as you described in the beginning, that I don't prepare for that question. And so I kind of just wing it (laughs) when someone asks me that because it often depends on who's asking me. It depends on the situation. It depends if I give the one or two line answer. And if they ask for more details, I go a bit deeper. But this is something that I feel in terms of public speaking, if I can't confidently describe to a client the importance of working with a travel advisor and what benefits we can bring to them and their travel, of course, they're not going to hire me, right? You bet. Mm -hmm. So this is one like kind of informing situation that I think it's definitely public speaking and it's something that travel advisors are dealing with on a very regular basis. The second is that once we are planning a trip with clients, more questions come. Why do we charge fees for our service? Is it really necessary to pay extra for economy rather than basic economy when we're flying somewhere? Why should we purchase travel protection? There are all of these types of questions that we are fielding on a very regular basis that if we are not able to effectively speak confidently and find the right words, a client is not going to trust us or they're not going to take our recommendation because our answer wasn't expressed in a way that really convinced them that they needed to listen to us. So these are some really like, these are things that are coming up very, very commonly for travel advisors. You bet. Can I speak to those? Absolutely, please. Ah, I love this. First, narrators are never neutral. That's one of my sayings in all of my programs. Narrators are never neutral. If you think about, you know, when you see a kid's movie and there's a narrator, it's never a dull voice in the background. It always has some form of characterizations. When you are giving information, you are not neutral in the way that you are saying it, and you're not neutral in the way that you are delivering it. And so we get to really understand that whatever it is that we're saying, we are coming from a place of passion. In this specific instance, when you're getting questions, repeated questions over and over again, there's two traps that you can fall into in terms of public speaking. One is you just write out the whole answer. You say, okay, the next time somebody asks me this, I just go, I just read them from this card. But our ears are trained. I can tell when I'm just, you know, talking and when somebody's saying, well, the reason that I have for you mm-hmm. today, like, <laughs> that, then we, we don't feel that connection. We do now. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, other, the other fallback is we just keep winging it and then it just mm-hmm. keeps changing. So what I would recommend, not, not just in these two questions, but in all the repeat questions, is you take the, the power words, the words that keep coming up for you, and you have those and you memorize those power words. Well, travel advisors are here because boom, boom, boom. One, Mm -hmm. two, three. And you just memorize those three phrases. Wherever you feel your client needs to hear the most, that's where you you really land. I really like that. And I feel like some of my expertise in answering these questions has just come from fielding the same questions for five plus years. And so I have gotten better at this, but I do know that there are key phrases that I'm using in a lot of the explanations that I'm giving. And I guess I never really realized I know that I'm always repeating that, but I've never thought about it about it in the way of, let's not just write down the question. Let's just think of the key points that we want to cover when someone asks us this question and even just think of small little phrases mm-hmm. and making sure we get those in there into the answer that helps us not only speak confidently, know how we're going to answer these questions, but also, like you said, not sounding like we're just reading off of a script. Exactly. And the, the further recommendation I would have for that is you find people in your network, one or two people, and you keep saying these responses over and over again. Marco Polo is one of my favorite apps. I don't know if you're aware mm-hmm. of it. It's just a video messaging app. And I always encourage clients, especially in the same space, 
hey, get in a Marco Polo group. And then once a week, ask each other these questions about your field, whatever the case may be. And so you're, you're constantly repeating the answers to these questions to each other. And then you give each other feedback like, oh, you know, Whitney, I, I didn't realize that this was going on, or I didn't think that you effectively communicated this. And you just get more and more and more and more refined. Do you have any other strategies about how we get the repetition and in the practice that's required? Voice recording is also phenomenal. Speaking out loud in any sort of a higher stakes context than just you talking out loud in your car. Now, talking out loud in your car or in your room or wherever it is that you're rehearsing, that's certainly beneficial. But when you know that it is being put somewhere, somehow the adrenaline kind of kicks up. Having at least one other person listening to that is, I would say, 10 times more effective than just rehearsing it on your own. Because then you're you're opening yourself up to feedback. That's huge. You're always going to improve the second and third time that you say something out loud than the first time when you're just, you know, faced with it. Like, oh, I I have to process this question. If we've already processed it, then our brains can focus on how we're saying, not exactly what what we're going to say. That is such an interesting way to approach this practice, because I know that as travel advisors, and, and this I think would apply for any business owner, when you're first getting started, wouldn't you agree that there are definitely some situations and we're essentially, how to say, sacrificing a client, blowing a client, oh, yeah. in a way, because we, we don't have the right words. We didn't really approach that the right way. Mm-hmm. And it, it shouldn't have to be for business owners that we just need to like, well, lost another client because I wasn't able to answer that question very well. Like we should be able to find a better way to prepare in these public speaking moments and to answer these big questions that we're receiving from clients without sacrificing their potential business with us. You bet. You bet. We've all done that where we have a potential client and they ask a question and we just... You know, internally implode of like, Mm -hmm. oh no, what what am I saying here? Yep, yep, exactly. So in all of these instances, the big question is really how can I best inspire or inform a client while also keeping them engaged in a confident manner, right? So are the strategies different if we are thinking from a public speaking perspective? Are the strategies different if we are inspiring a client in a storytelling manner or if we're informing a client in a more public speaking manner? Or are the strategies across the board pretty similar regardless of the message we're trying to share? Uh, I would argue that you can't have effective public speaking without effective storytelling and vice versa. Okay. So it all comes together. It all comes together. Again, it goes back to narrators are never neutral is we're always inspiring in whatever capacity that you, you are going to inspire. And I think that your profession has some really great tools to it because travel is so filled with adjectives, right? We get to describe where things are, what they smell like, what they feel like. That's a huge, huge benefit. You get to give people a vision of what it's going to be like when they're there. That type of storytelling and speaking melds together the inspiration and the information. So in my experience with some of these examples, my first hurdle was often finding the right words. So whether someone was asking me why they should work with a travel advisor, why should they purchase trip protection, before we could speak confidently, we have to find the right words, right? Mm -hmm. So 
as a public speaking coach, are you helping clients find the right words and then work on their public speaking skills? Or do you have clients first? They need to first understand what they'd like to say, and then you're helping them with the actual presentation of that message. Yes. (laughs) It's simultaneous. It's like running, running a marathon. It's training for a marathon. You don't just go, you know, wake up and run 26.2 miles. You're taking care of your nutrition. Then you're doing running drills. Then you're doing, uh, you're stretching out. So it's all of these different elements all happening at the same time. So primarily it is, what is your main message? Narrowing down to just what's the core of what you're saying, and then teaching them strategies of uh, storytelling structures, of public speaking, organizational patterns, trying and testing those out. And as they try and test those out, then we can get into the minor mechanics of filler words and facial expressions and eye contact and all of those different things. So it's kind of like three gears are all moving together at once. So public speaking and storytelling, you say, are both a science and an art. Yes. And t- talk to me about the critical elements and, and what exactly do you mean by both an art and a science? Is that some things that we can practice and they're very explicit strategies, whereas other things we need to kind of be in the moment and be ourselves and not have everything planned so perfectly? That's pretty much it. Absolutely. The science behind it is that there's structure right? There, there are formulas, there are outlines, there are specific mechanical strategies to improve your storytelling and public speaking. If that were it, like if, if, if it was just outlines and formulas and structures, then I could teach public speaking by sending you a PDF document and then we'd be done, right? Then it'd be over. But because we're human beings and we have complexities and we have our personalities and our stories and our experiences and our interpretation, public speaking is really messy. It's it's emotional. It's passionate. It's inf- more than just informative. So public speaking training is using those scientific skills, but also mixing that with what are the emotions behind what you're saying? What are the emotions that your audience is feeling? Is that the emotion that you want them to feel? So it gets definitely messy depending on the topic. And that's that's actually what I love. That's, again, the personal development of public speaking is, are you really communicating what you want to communicate? Out of curiosity, I've asked Eric if he might provide feedback on my public speaking in an attempt to better understand what types of improvements we as travel advisors can make and how it might benefit us to learn and to practice some of the strategies we've discussed today. So Eric, what type of story would you like me to tell for this practice session? I want you to tell the founder's story. The founder's story is critical to all businesses. It is why that company exists. Even if the person in charge at the time is not the founder, understanding the founder's story and communicating that is so absolutely critical. So I want to know why you started your business. What was the moment or moments that sparked and said, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to show up in the world. Okay. There are three very separate and distinct experiences that happened over a period of about five years that led me to starting my business as a travel advisor. The first thing that happened, I planned a trip to Indonesia. I was living in China at the time. It was going to be a two-week trip, and I was going to meet my friend who was flying in from Paris to meet me for this trip. And Upon arriving about 36 hours after landing, she emailed to say she wasn't coming. It was a combination of her having mono 
And her doctor had kind of sort of given her the go ahead. But more importantly, Air France was on strike and getting there was going to be really, really complicated. She wasn't going to arrive until after I left that area and moved on to the next area. So it was going to be really complicated. And suddenly I was on my first solo trip in a foreign country in a time that I didn't plan to be traveling solo. I think it's one thing to make that decision to travel solo and then to do it and to plan that trip and to arrive knowing that you're going to be alone. It's another thing to just suddenly find that out when you're already there. During that trip, I planned my my experiences on with a lonely planet and I did everything just off the cuff. Just walked down the street, saw a little office. They were offering a tour that I wanted. So I walked in and paid as little as I could possibly pay to do it. That was the first trip that I left feeling good, but not great. I felt like there was something missing from that trip. And it wasn't related to me traveling solo. I think that was a really good blessing in disguise. It was related to every little cafe and restaurant and tour that I walked into. Everyone was holding the same Lonely Planet book as I was. And I suddenly knew this is not an authentic experience. I'm enjoying my time in Indonesia. It is still one of my favorite countries. I think we can do it a lot better. But I didn't know the answer at that time. The second puzzle piece to starting my business, I worked in a five-star hotel in Shanghai. And I worked uh, very closely with the hotel manager and the general manager. And they really taught me over a five-year period what it means to exceed expectations of every guest walking into your hotel. And this was really fascinating to me. I grew up working in a lot of restaurants and bars And so I understood service. I understood how to properly provide service to clients and to patrons, but going above and beyond every step of the way from the moment they walk in the door to the front desk experience, to the restaurant experience, to the housekeeping experience, that was really what kind of leveled up my mindset as in terms of what's possible on a service standpoint. Finally, I was planning a trip to Germany with my parents. So I was living in China. They were going to meet me in Germany. I have a lot of friends who live in Germany. I was working for a hotel company at that time. So there were a lot of hotels that I wanted to go see and stay in because I knew about them from the company I was working for. And because the time difference between China and the US is so vast, it's I don't know, 16 or 17 hours. I only spoke with my parents every seven to 10 days. In the seven to 10 day period after my parents and I decided we were going to meet in Germany, my dad Googled a luxury travel agency in Germany, picked the first one who responded, told them what he wanted for our trip in Germany and booked it. The next time I was on the phone with my parents, he said, I've got the whole trip planned. I was furious. (laughs) I was so furious because one, why would you hire a travel agency? That was my first question. Two, you did not tell talk to me at all about this trip, right? Lo and behold, I arrive in Germany. It was one of the best trips we have ever been on. And I had expectations for small details and service because of working in the hotel were now just like above and beyond, like almost like my expectations were too high. That luxury travel agency who put our trip together blew me away every step of the way. And that was when I finally brought all three puzzle pieces together and realized this is how I go above and beyond that Lonely Planet experience. This is how you make travel authentic. The hotel experience brought to me the attention to detail and the service components and exceeding expectations every step of the way. That experience in Germany brought all those experiences together to then have me start going on the hunt for how can I make this a business? Well, that was great. (laughs) 
I'm almost nervous. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, okay, tell me, as you told that story, tell me what felt good about the way that you were telling or what you were, were you telling? Um, I think because I've thought about this so much, I think the the key phrases that I was able to articulate from each of the three puzzle pieces of, I can tell you the whole story about Indonesia, but then I can wrap it up with saying that didn't feel authentic. I think it could be better. I feel like that's where I saw you nod your head of like, oh, that's where this is going. <laughs> and then when I describe working in the hotel, well, a lot of people have worked in a hotel. And so people are kind of like, well, okay, I guess it's the tourism industry. But then when I talk about exceeding expectations and really going above and beyond in every single step of the way, that's again, when I saw you kind of nod your head of like, oh, that's why she's telling me about this hotel. So I feel like I was maybe my story is a bit long winded, but I think that I'm honing in on the exact message that I'm trying to express from each of those three puzzle pieces. You bet. You bet. That's good. I'm going to circle back to that in just a second. Okay. Um, What, what felt not great? What was in the gap? you. I was totally winging it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know these three stories really, really well, right. but which details I included mm-hmm. and what I told you. And I didn't have like the key bullet points that we discussed before that I wanted to make sure that I told you. Once I kind of got all the way through my Indonesia story and expressed that it didn't feel authentic, I actually thought while telling you the fact that my friend didn't show up is actually not related. Mm. Maybe that I mean, that that was, a, that was an impactful part of that story for me. But the message that I took away from that Indonesia experience was more about the fact that I was walking around with the same lonely planet that everyone else had. Mm-hmm. And whether or not my friend showed up actually doesn't, is not related to that experience, right? So mm-hmm. I, pr- <laughs> I, I, I actually thought while saying it, I didn't need to say any of that. That could have been cut out. I'm just telling like a long-winded story. So I, I felt that as I was telling you. Interesting. Okay. So let me, let me give you some feedback here. Okay. Because you... You, you mentioned long, you felt long-winded. Why, mm-hmm. why did you feel long-winded? I think just because I didn't have like an organized thought process into like what exactly I was going to tell you. And I think that I could have expressed the same sentiments of those three puzzle pieces uh, much quicker and more succinctly. Gotcha. Here's my thought is um, I actually love the structure like this is a this is a a really well plotted out structure, but it is three different chapters. Mm-hmm. And answering three different things. So the reason why you felt long-winded and why you felt that some of the details were not relevant is because you're telling three different stories. So I broke them apart. It, they all make sense. They all give a glimpse into why you started your company. And they can all be different responses depending on who you're talking to and what their intentions are. My first recommendation is you start with I call it thesis at the top. It's not really a thesis, but it's not just jumping into the story. Here's my, what I would have done for you is uh, Undiscovered Sunsets started with an accidental solo trip, right? Right, yeah. An accidental solo trip. Like, no, I've been on solo trips. People have been on solo trips. I've never been on an accidental solo trip. Yeah, I've been on planned solo trips. (laughs) I just wasn't planning on that one being solo. Right. And so the, the verbiage of an accidental solo, solo trip, I'm... Suddenly in. you're in. Like, you're listening. How can you... What What's the accident there? And in this story, I actually did like the fact that your friend didn't show up. Like, okay. Because... Because again, it's it's the accident. Why was it an accident? Well, and I guess I discounted that part of the story previously, but now if I 
fine-tuned the messaging. When you're traveling with someone, you don't, you probably don't notice those small details of the fact that everyone's carrying around the same lonely planet. You are always kind of zoned into the person you're traveling with. And when you're traveling solo, you're quite Ooh. often much more aware of what's going on around you. That's huge. I love that element. I, and I love the Lonely Planet book, right? I love that that's what sparked you. In that particular story, I would have, again, I'm, I would separate these into three stories. And I love that you ended it with, we can do it better. I can do it better. There's a better way than Lonely Planet. Mm-hmm. And if you tell this story to someone just that, that's captivating enough. Where What I would recommend is having more emotionally charged power words. So what did it feel like when your friend said, I'm not coming, right? Was yeah. it terrifying? Was it devastating? Was it energizing? Was it exciting? Was it, what did that feel like? Um, All of the above. Right. At first, it was terrifying and devastating. And I was basically, I was almost angry of like, what? Like, I, I'm not home right now. Like, I'm here. Now yeah. you're telling me that you're not coming? But then I quickly just kind of was like, I've got 14 days ahead of me. Let's just figure this out. And then, so, and, you know, I needed a few moments to feel sorry for myself. And then I'm just like, let's get on with it. And then from then on, I had a fantastic trip. Right. And those are the words you can play with because I'm right. thinking uh, my dejection or my, my devastation or my anger turned to something else. So I, I kind of just told you what happened as opposed to telling you how I felt yeah. throughout the experience. Exactly. Okay. And That's those helpful. emotions are, are very key as an audience member. When you, I don't want to say get emotional because that's not the right, right term, but when you express emotion, you are giving me as an audience member the permission to feel that emotion. When you say, I was devastated, I was angry, I can feel that devastation, that anger. You're, you're again, mm-hmm. that, that story coupling, we're, we're linking in the story that we're telling. We can all relate to these emotions. Exactly. Exactly. The second story that you told, the, uh, the five-star restaurant, that's your value story. Why do you do the things that you do in your business? Well, I do them in excellence because this is my background. Mm-hmm. I worked at a five-star restaurant and the five-star restaurant, everything is absolutely elite. In my company, we do things in an elite way. Yeah. And now that I'm sitting here thinking back, I'm thinking of more details that I should have included in that story to really qualify my experience in the five-star hotel. And because I was just winging it and I haven't really sat down to really think through the bullet points, the main points of this story that I should share with people, I forgot some important points. And I do this all the time. I always walk away from conversations thinking, oh, I should have said this. And that's what comes with not preparing, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. But then when you do prepare and you do practice, then you have these experiences and you know how to how to move forward with that. I think that this would be a great way to express your express to a potential client when they're deciding why you well, you know, there's a lot of travel agencies around why should I pick you Mm -hmm. over somebody else, then you can just jump right into here's more of my experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if I think like, I'm going to get a five star hotel style service through this, that's pretty big. And then your last story, that, that's your, your, why would you hire a travel agency? You know, you were in the same place. And- yeah, I, that was my exact thought. Why did you, I, I plan trips all the time. I visited more than 25 countries at that point. Like, what are you doing, dad? I got this. I was right. so mad. <laughs> And what I love about the story is that you were proven wrong. Your initial response was, how dare you? We could have taken care of this. And then when you went, you're like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, this Mm -hmm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. That's Again, that's the story that you tell to the potential client who's like, I 
don't know. I, I can just go on, you know, one of those websites. TripAdvisor. I'll be fine. That's why. Because most people will be fine with TripAdvisor. They'll be okay. Most people will be fine. And I would say from that experience, I realized how it could be so much better in ways that I didn't even realize were areas of improvement, of yeah. potential improvement, right? Like I didn't, I, I thought we were staying in great hotels. I thought we had great guides. I thought we had great experiences. And then that trip, I was like, oh, I wasn't even looking for improvement in this domain. Right. And it can absolutely be improved. Right. And that's, I think that's a core message of what you're trying to deliver is, you know, there are things in our life that we can be okay with being okay. Is a trip one of them? Like, I don't want my trips to just be okay. I don't want to be like, well, fine. I want them to be awesome. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. them to be experiences. So I, I loved, I loved all three of them as chapters. What I would recommend you do is break apart those chapters, find the details in those stories that you, you know, keep coming up with them and continue to rehearse them. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I I would mention is people who will listen to this, they won't be able to see our faces. Mm -hmm. I can see your face. Even when you're only recording audio, always amplify your facial expressions up one or two notches when you're when you're speaking to people that's going to communicate those emotions significantly more even if they're just coming out naturally oh absolutely you can definitely hear someone's emotion in their voice you for bet. sure you bet. but it was i mean you're you're a compelling storyteller because you're passionate you're well organized again it's just those little tweaks of organization getting those power emotional words in there and then really finding why am i telling the you know each of these stories I love the the first statement of I went on an accidental solo trip. I love that. I also love kind of like we talked about earlier, really bullet pointing the key phrases that I want to hit from each of those experiences. So from Indonesia, I can really kind of uh, shift the messaging of that accidental solo trip and really describe better, like you said, why that affected me. I was much more aware of my surroundings because I was solo. I obviously forgot points from my experience in China. So if I really bullet point them out, that will help me not forget the key points. And then also the descriptive words. This is really, I mean, I can absolutely do this, but I need to think about it more. I need to think about the exact emotions that I was feeling in those moments. And I really love that you point out that there are three separate stories that could be told individually or together. Yes. And depending upon who's asking me what the situation is and maybe what the context is of that conversation, I might choose to tell them the story about China. I might choose to tell them the story about Germany, or I might choose to tell them the story about Indonesia. And not always does it have to be the full long-winded story. Exactly. You can pick and choose depending on the context of wherever you are. And great speaking and storytelling is breaking patterns. So when somebody asks you a question and you respond with the story, even if it's a two-sentence story, like I did blah, 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 that's going to be so much more captivating to your clients than just saying it's X, Y, and Z. Right, right. Exactly. Eric, if you could offer one piece of advice to small business owners who may not be preparing to give keynote speeches on a stage, but who are definitely informing and inspiring their clients on a daily basis, what would that one key piece of advice be? My key piece of advice is going to be that exactly what we just did. Find those commonly asked questions, create and craft stories behind those questions and rehearse those stories with someone that you trust. That's it. it again, r- great speaking is like running a marathon. You can't just stand up and run a marathon tomorrow. 
mean, some people can. It's going to hurt, but it's much better if you stand up and you go walk a mile tomorrow and then walk two miles the next day. Continuously train. Public speaking is a skill. It's not a task. So if you chip away at it daily, then you're going to be much more prepared when those uh, questions come up. Eric, I have learned so much in this conversation. Thank you for sharing your zone of genius on everything public speaking and storytelling with us today. I sincerely look forward to learning more and to practicing these strategies to become a more effective speaker, which I know will benefit my business. You can find out more about Eric on his website at speakupstories.com. You can also follow him on Instagram to gather more insights on public speaking and storytelling. His handle is at speak.up.stories. Both of these are linked in the show notes for you. He also has a Facebook group where you can search Speak Up Stories. Here in this group, he shares tips and challenges for public speaking. On January 1st, he is launching a program, Speak Up Skills, which will include 365 daily tips, trainings, and prompts, as well as 52 lessons to improve your public speaking. I'm going to go ahead and sign up for that right now. (laughs) Everyone, you can find all of these links in the show notes. Eric, thank you again for your willingness and for your enthusiasm to be a part of the conversation. Whitney, thank you so very much for having me. It was a blast. Inspired by Eric's advice to identify the questions we are asked most commonly, to craft stories behind those questions, and to identify those keywords and phrases that we want to use when asked these questions so that we are ready and prepared to speak effectively, professionally, and confidently, I posed a few common questions to our Instagram community to see what keywords and phrases they like to include in some of these instances. First up, how to respond to the commonly asked question, why should I use a travel advisor? Some keywords and phrases I use are collaboration, increased value, and partners in destination. Some keywords and phrases Kristen Hugim of Travel Redesigned uses are elevated trip experience, seamless, and time-saving. Beth Pelletieri, a team leader at Liberty Travel, and Sarah Brooke from Curry & Co Travels Unlimited also look for an opportunity to use the phrase time-saver in conversations with potential clients on this topic. Another commonly asked question is whether or not clients should invest in trip protection. I always use the phrases to protect your investment and to protect against the unforeseen and unexpected in an attempt to remind clients that no one expects to have to cancel their trip. That's exactly what trip protection is for. Sarah Brooks shares with clients that as advisors, it is up to us to share options while it is up to the client to decide how they like to protect their investment. For one of the most important questions we are asked on a regular basis, why do you charge a fee? I like to use keywords and phrases such as personalized, my time and expertise, and this fee encompasses my service from the proposal to your return home. Teresa from Get Out Custom Travels calls her fee a design fee to remind clients that she is designing their itinerary. I love this and I also do the same. I call my fee a research and design fee. When asked about her fees, Kristen Hugim uses the key phrase, leverage our partnerships and expertise to provide an elevated trip. Finally, I asked advisors, what are some other questions they are asked on a regular basis? If you consider for a moment the questions that you receive regularly, you can start to pinpoint keywords and phrases that you'll want to use in a future conversation when these questions come up. This will enable you to speak more effectively, more professionally, and more confidently. Some common questions they reminded me of. How are you different than Amex? What's the catch? (laughs) There's no catch, just a beautiful vacation. Will it be more expensive? This is a great one to think about. A lot of travelers expect that it will be more expensive when working with us when we all know that that's not usually the case. And of course, not a question, but the comment we hear most often, oh, I didn't even know you existed. Let's all make sure that we're ready to reply the next time someone says this when we introduce ourselves. Kristen, Beth, Sarah, and Teresa, thank you for your willingness and for your enthusiasm to be a part of the conversation. 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Masters in Travel. If you want more, head over to mastersintravelpod.com for show notes and links to the resources we discussed in today's episode. If you loved today's interview as much as I did, please take a moment to leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to share this podcast with an advisor who is ready to level up their travel business. To continue the conversation, find us on Instagram at Masters in Travel, where we preview upcoming episodes and engage with our listeners to decide what topics to cover next. We'll see you next time.